right. Good morning, everyone. Um, I have to admit, I'm just a little nervous about trying to preach like this, but it uh, sounded like a friendly crowd that was talking just a few minutes ago, so I think it'll probably be all right. Um, I'm sitting in my living room recliner, and um, I'm speaking to Brandon and Derek and Jody and my parents here. So um, we'll see how this goes. Uh, the title of my message this morning is God Shows Us Humility. And I'm going to be um, looking at Philippians chapter 2, the first 18 verses. So you can turn to that if you would like. Um, first, a question. Eldon said that questions aren't a good thing here because I can't get answers. But I'll just let you think about this. Um, what is one language uh, that all people, that all nations can understand. Um, I believe that there are three ways that God reveals himself to people. There, there may be more, but um, three big ways. Uh, one is creation, and I think creation is the language that all people of every nation can understand. Um, Psalm 19, 1-4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. Um, Romans 1, 20 says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seeing, seen, being understood by the things that were, are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And, and uh, Paul is referring to ungodly people there who will be judged, uh, saying they're without excuse because of the things they have seen in creation. So creation is one way that God reveals himself to all people. And we know that God also uses his word to reveal himself to us. And, um, and through his word, uh, more specifically, God reveals himself through the life of Jesus. Um, Hebrews 1, uh, the first two verses says, In the past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through Him, through whom he made the universe. So these are three ways that God reveals himself to us. God doesn't just leave us um, wandering through life uh, aimlessly. Uh, he shows himself to unbelievers through creation and to those who seek him through his word and through Jesus' life. So we're going to look at um, humility, what God has to say about humility, and we're going to look at it uh, through these three ways, through creation, uh, through his word, and through his son. And this message is based on a devotional that I had last summer. And um, at that time, I... I drew pictures of some of the things that I'm going to talk about. And I can't do that in this situation. So maybe you children, if you want to get a piece of paper, um, and even you adults who like to doodle during sermons, you could get a piece of paper and um, I'll describe some things and you can draw these out if you care to. So going to Philippians uh, 2, uh, we'll look at the first uh, four verses uh, first. Um, but before we do that, I want to tell you a little bit about um, an example that I see in creation of, of humility. 
sorry about that noise. And the the um, the first part of humility that I want to look at is uh, that humility shares, uh, or humility is unselfish. So, um, somebody, uh, Zachary, actually just told me the other this week that it's kind of funny that Mr. B likes bees, and so, sure enough, I'm going to use bees as an example um, for humility. So, um, in a hive, uh, when bees find, um, go out and find a good source of nectar or pollen, uh, they come back to the hive with their load, and, and they do a little waggle dance for the other bees. And if you children want to draw a picture of what this looks like, you can draw a circle and then draw a straight line right down through the middle of the circle, except um, maybe it shouldn't be straight. It should be kind of wiggly. Um, this is what the bees do when they come back from uh, finding some good food. They go around the circle, and then they go up through the center, and they wiggle a lot, and then they go back around again and back up through the center. And... Um, the, the angle that this straight or that this center uh, path has with the vertical um, tells the bees, uh, the other bees, uh, what angle uh, the nectar source or the flowers, um, what angle that is from the sun. So if, if the path going up the middle is, is straight up, then the other bees know that they come out of the hive and go straight towards the sun. Um, if it's leaning, you know, several degrees, 20 degrees to the left, then the bees know they go out, look at the sun, and go 20 degrees to the left. Um, they also, um, the frequency, or the duration, I guess, of the um, this waggling part of the dance tells the bees um, how far uh, this nectar source is. And and there's there's it gets more complicated than that, but. Um, but these these bees, when they find a good a good source of food, um, they come back and they share it with the with the rest of the hive. They don't uh, save it for themselves and just enjoy it um, out there in the field. They they bring it back and share it with the rest of the hive. Um, so let's look at verse one, uh, these first four verses of of Philippians now, and and. Any of you children who have tried to draw these pictures, um, if you want to label this first picture, you can just write sharing under that one to remind yourself what it stands for. And I'm going to do this from the NIV, and hopefully that's okay. Uh, if Philippians 2, verse 1. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So uh, I've read over this um, for weeks now, trying to understand what, what Paul's trying to say here. And I think... Maybe what he's saying is that um, in, in these first uh, first in this first verse, I guess he has a lot of ifs, and I think maybe what he's saying is if you are a true true believer at all, just think about um, somebody who 
who, who would, this would not be true. Somebody who would say no to all of these questions. Um, somebody who has no encouragement from being united to, with Christ. Or someone who has uh, no comfort from Christ's love. Or no fellowship with the Spirit. Or no tenderness and compassion. That sounds to me like a hardened sinner. Um, so I think maybe what Paul's saying is, look, if you, if you are a true believer at all, or if you, if you are a follower of Jesus at all, then here's what, what you should do. Or here's what would make me really happy now. Um, and then he says what he, what, what would make him, make his joy complete. Um, that you be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but um, in humility considering others better than yourselves. Um, I think Paul was filled with joy whenever he thought of the Philippians. He says that back in chapter 1, um, verse 4. But apparently there was they weren't quite perfect, and one thing that he, that he wanted to see them grow in was um, in humility and in the way that they got along with each other. Um, you know, like our example from the bees, when, when they come back to the hive, they don't sneak off into a corner and hide their food. Um, they, they share the good news with the rest of them. And um, I think that the lesson, the simple lesson for us in these, in these verses is just don't be selfish. Um, look out for the good of others, not your own good, and, and be one in spirit and purpose. And will this be easy? Probably not. And, and when, when it is difficult to be one in spirit and purpose, and, and our way of thinking, um, is against another person's way of thinking, then I think the, the attitude we need to have is, um, in verse, verse three, consider others better than yourselves. Um, and that will help. But, but the simple message is just be unselfish and, and share with others, um, the good things that we've been given. And this could be, this could be many things. It could be, um, testimony about what God has done for us. It could be sharing money, sharing skills that we've been given or have developed. Um, for example, leading, teaching, befriending, um, preparing food, repairing equipment and buildings, mowing, encouraging, hospitality, or just praying for uh, brothers and sisters in the church. There's so many ways that we can share with each other um, for the good of the uh, church, for the good of the entire group. Um, this is just a little bit of a side note, maybe, but I'm impressed sometimes by how easy it is uh, to have an encouraging worship service or Bible study when people are studying the Bible and are learning new things. And if everyone just shares um, what they've been learning without any pressure of filling time, um, then much of the burden of, of the task of sharing is removed. Um, of course, I hope that longer prepared messages on a particular topic have value too. Um, and of course, we know structure in, in worship services is good because Paul said that everything should be done decently and in order. But um, but we should be ready to share with each other uh, the good things that we're learning. And sometimes I think maybe we wear ourselves out trying to come up with inspirational thoughts when maybe we simply just need to share um, the good things we've been learning. 
and encourage each other in that way. All right, the second uh, section I want to look at is uh, verses 5 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. And and this the first section I entitled Humility Shares, and this section uh, I've entitled Humility Sacrifices. And our example from nature uh, is the bee stinger. Um, probably most of you have been stung by a honeybee at one time or another, and you know that because the, the stinger stuck in your skin and the bee left. Um, you probably never really studied it that close, but uh, I usually don't either. I get it out as quickly as I can, but um, I have looked at it really closely, and the bee st- honeybee stinger is really very amazing. Um, if you children want to draw a picture of this, you can um, draw a a very sharp um, needle-looking stinger, and then put a bunch of barbs on on either side so that when it goes in, it will not come back out. And then draw a line straight up through the middle because the stinger is actually divided into two parts. And the way the the bee stinger works is when it goes into flesh, into your skin, um, the bee leaves and the stinger pulls out of the bee a bunch of um, muscle and a sac containing venom. And these muscles keep uh, moving and make this these two uh, stingers, these two barbed halves of the stinger, move up and down. And in this way, even after the bee has gone, in this way the, the stinger keeps working its way deeper and deeper into the skin, and and all the venom that's in that sac keeps pumping uh, out of the stinger. And so that's why you want to get it out as quickly as possible uh, before more venom gets pumped into you. Um, but the bee is is um, sacrificing its life for the good of the of the hive. It knows that the hive is in danger, or it thinks that, and um, gives its life uh, to help protect the hive. Um, and of course, we have in in uh, these verses five through eleven a much much better example of sacrifice than honeybees. Um, we have Jesus' example here, and I will just read uh, verse five through eleven. And this this is explaining um, in in greater detail with a good example, I think, what Paul was was trying to say in this these first four verses. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." In these first two verses, or first three verses, um, five through seven, we see that Jesus gave up his position in heaven and made himself nothing. Um, We read in John 1, verse 3, that all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Um, Jesus was uh, the creator. He was part of creation. In Isaiah 5, 9, 
Um, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Um, Jesus is so high and, and he came down to earth. He's, he went from divine to human, from creator to creation, from the heavens to the earth. He went from being king to being servant. And, and then we read in verse 8, after all of that, that he humbled himself, it says in verse 8, as if he hadn't already humbled himself. Now it says he humbled himself and he became obedient to death, even death on a cross, not just any death, but uh, humiliating and painful death. So this makes me wonder, um, how far are we willing to go in our obedience to God? How much are we willing to sacrifice for the interests of others? Um, 1 John 3 uh, verses 16 through 18 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. And then uh, he goes on in that passage to uh, talk about possessions and how you, you know, shouldn't, uh, how you should give possessions when you see a brother in need. Um, but I think uh, sacrifice for our brothers is, is more than just possessions. Um, you know, it, it could be our very lives, but probably not. Um, but if, if, uh, if we are to have the attitude that Christ had, um, then everything up to our very lives should be, um, we should be willing to sacrifice, really. Uh, in verse 9 through 11, uh, Paul talks about the reward then. Um, you know, bees, they leave their stinger uh, in, in the enemy. They die, and that's the end. But for Jesus and for us, um, sacrifice is not the end. There's a reward. Um, we see that because Jesus humbled himself, um, God gave him the highest place, and he was restored to his rightful place, and um, even though he was mis after he was mistreated by people, um, at some point, everybody um, will confess that Jesus is Lord, and, and he will get the, the praise and honor that he deserves. Um, in Hebrews 12, uh, 2 through 3, um, the writer reminds us to uh, about this fact uh, of Jesus. He said, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus' reward um, was actually a motivator for him um, to follow through with his sacrifice. And I think it can be for us too, because we have we are promised a reward um, with Jesus. In Colossians 3, verses 1-4, through 4, Paul says, Since then ye have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Christ has already received his reward, and we will be rewarded with him um, if we're faithful. So, maybe... Um, thinking a little bit more about about sacrifice and and how difficult that is um, what what is it that keeps us from being humble people what is it 
that makes it so hard for us to submit to other people and to consider others better than ourselves. Um, of course, we know it's selfishness, but we can have a lot of excuses for um, not being humble like we should uh, or not submitting. We can say, uh, it's just not fair. I'm not being treated fair. I, or uh, The other person doesn't deserve... Um, doesn't deserve this, or somebody's taking advantage of me, or maybe I deserve better than that, um, or maybe maybe we're holding something against somebody. We say they hurt me, and I can't submit to them. Um, I think, in essence, these arguments that can go through our minds sometimes focus on two things. One is um, the unworthiness of of the other person um, for for me submitting to them, for me loving them like I should. And the second thing uh, these arguments focus on is my rights and what I deserve. But if we look at um, this example of Jesus here, um, it says, you know, let, your, let this mind be in you, which results also in Christ Jesus. And in the NIV, this is just to be your attitude. Um, do these arguments hold any water? Um, Jesus, he had every right to enjoy equality with God. Um, if anybody deserved that, if anybody was undeserving of what he got, um, it was him. He, but he gave it all up. And we um, were the epitome of unworthiness, and yet Jesus sacrificed himself for us. And so if our attitude is to be like Jesus, um, then... These arguments hold no water. We can't hold ourselves above others and demand rights. Uh, we can't um, withhold sacrifice and love because of unworthiness, uh, because that's not what Jesus did. And I don't think that humility is um, just being a pushover or never standing up to anybody, but I think it's an attitude of unselfishness and genuinely caring about other people, looking out for their good, um, and looking out for the interests of Jesus, uh, who loved people enough to die for them. And this is a little bit outside of, of the passage that I want to focus on today, but if you go down to Philippians 2, verse 21, um, Paul gives some high praise for Timothy. He says that um, he has, well, he actually starts in verse 20, I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Um, so by by look by looking out for the good of others, uh, we are looking out for the interests of Jesus. All right, uh, moving on to the third section uh, of verses here, I would like to uh, I've entitled this "Humility Shines." And this is Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18. Um, in verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. This really says something about the Philippians, um, because they obeyed much more in Paul's absence um, than when he was actually with them. And I know that the, the mark of a well-behaved student is not uh, studious diligence when the teacher is in the classroom, 
and the Christian light representative is pacing past the desks. Um, no, the, the mark of a well-behaved student is, is, is when they can work diligently when the teacher is out of the room and um, others in the classroom are throwing eraser crumbs or spitballs or whatever they do when the teacher's out of the classroom. Uh, so the Philippians had some good things going for them, for sure. And in verse 13... Um, Paul says, it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And I was trying to figure out what this means. Um, and it, it seems to me like this is saying that the good that comes out of our lives is the direct result of God working through us. And in fact, it seems like he's saying that the very will or desire to do the will of God is a gift from God. And maybe this is a little bit like the man whose son had a demon, um, the one who said, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Maybe our weak desire to do God's will is the seed that God can take and make, make grow um, into a stronger desire uh, to do his will. But I think this verse um, mainly just speaks about complete dependence on God for salvation and and for accomplishing anything worthwhile with our lives. Um, so we're looking at humility shines in this section, and um, I have one more uh, example uh, from bees. And um, I don't know, I don't have a good picture for you children for this one. Um, you can you can draw a picture of some stars uh, shining because we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, one really fascinating thing about honeybees is that um, they keep their their brood nest where they're raising new new bees. They keep that uh, area of their hive at a temperature of uh, over 90 degrees um, whenever they're raising new bees. And uh, they start raising new bees in the cold of winter um, in January. And um, you know even these last cold uh, nights we've had. Um, I've got hives where there's there's lots of, of brood, lots of little bees being raised, and and the bees are keeping that entire area at over 90 degrees uh, during these cold nights. And the way they do this is they um, eat a lot of honey for energy, and then they decouple their um, flight muscles from their wings, and they vibrate. And they get up right on top of the young bees um, where the bees are being raised, and they vibrate and create heat uh, to keep things warm. Of course, later in the year, when it's very hot and it's over, you know, over 100 degrees, then the challenge is is keeping the hive cool. And so, to do that, the bees will sometimes come piling out of the hive and just hang in a big cluster outside the hive to make more room for airflow. Uh, they'll also uh, bring in water droplets. I understand. I've never seen this, and um, and evaporate them at places in the hive to uh, to basically have little air conditioning um, and and cool the hive that way. And and the the really impressive thing and and the thing that applies to to what I'm trying to say in this section is is these bees that sit at the entrance and fan. Um, very vigorously with their wings to keep air moving through the hive and keep the hive ventilated. Um, I've seen these bees many times sitting at the entrance, uh, working very hard. And 
And of course, there's also other bees working very hard bringing in um, nectar and pollen. And these bees that come in from foraging, they kind of crash land right on at the entrance and land right on top of these bees that are working hard um, trying to keep the hive cool. And when, when the hive is really busy, these poor bees that are trying to keep the hive cool just get bombarded constantly by foragers just crash landing right on top of them. And they have to stop fanning, get that bee off their back, and then they get back to fanning again. And then another one comes in and crash lands on them. And they just keep right on going, keep right on working. Um, not once have I seen uh, that turn into a bee fight or anything like that. Um, and I think that, uh, that to me anyway, is an example of humility. Um, I have one other uh, example story here, and I call this Dan Nan and the rental van. Um, last year, for our last field trip, um, Dan and Nan took my uh, classroom uh, on a field trip to the Richmond Science Museum, and they had rented a van for us. <clears throat> we were returning home. Um, with Dan driving after the after the field trip was over. And if you know Nan, you probably know, uh, without me even saying it, that she had a cooler of Starbucks Frappuccinos uh, in the van for the trip. And so we were enjoying those, and Dan was driving, and he asked Nan for one of these uh, Frappuccinos. Well, Nan got him one out of the cooler, and she thoughtfully shook it, um, and then unscrewed the cap and handed it to Dan. Well, Dan was either um, either engrossed in his driving or his conversation, I don't know which, but he promptly flipped the bottle upside down and shook it again. Um, needless to say, there wasn't much left in the bottle by the time he got it turned around again. Um, really, the only bright spot, or one of the few bright spots of this situation, was that most of the drink ended up on Dan's lap rather than the rental van seat, which was a good thing. And even better yet, the drink blended very well into Dan's mocha-colored pants, and which were soon mocha-scented as well. But um, Dan just kept right on driving, and uh, there were no no unkind words said. Um, it was an innocent mistake. So what's the lesson from these bees that keep getting bombarded with foragers and, and Dan, who got his pants covered in frappuccino? Well, I think the lesson is that when good work is happening, even when motives are pure and when we have the best of intentions, um, offenses can still happen. There can still be things that cause friction and tension and um, can make us get irritated at each other. Um, these bees and Dan uh, and Nan, they're just doing their job, okay? Nobody uh, is, is trying to do anybody any harm. Uh, humility is needed in the best of situations, um, because offenses just happen, and of course we know it's also needed when um, motives are not what they ought to be. So when things happen um, that would make a normal person blow a fuse or fly off the handle or have a conniption, whatever idiom you choose, um, humility keeps right on working. Humility doesn't lose focus of the task at hand and what is really important. Uh, humility gives others the benefit of the doubt and holds no hard feelings. And we see in verse 14 um, that Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Um, you know, complaining and arguing 
may seem kind of commonplace, uh, not a big deal, and maybe well justified sometimes, but I think it's actually serious. Um, complaining and arguing prevent us from being blameless and pure. And if we can rid our lives of complaining and arguing, then we can be blameless and pure, and that will allow us to shine like, like he says here in these verses, shine like lights, like stars in the universe. We can shine like stars on a clear moonless night. And just as um, the stars declare the glory of God, we read about that in Psalm, thir- Psalm 19 at the beginning, just as those stars declare the glory of God, so we too can declare his glory when we are living blameless and pure lives in a crooked and depraved generation. And the prevalence of evil and the lack of peace around us only amplifies the light shining from our lives when we're living the way we should. Um, in verse 16 and 17, Paul says, okay, he asked, he asked the Philippians to do everything without arguing and complaining. And then the reason, he says, is, is in verse 16, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. It seems like Paul wanted his life and his work among the Philippians to count for something. Just like us, he wanted his life to matter. He, he, was, he was concerned that he wasn't wasting his life. And, and then he goes on to say, um, yet, even, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. I think he's saying um, there that even if my work counts for nothing, except for the fact that it, I gave it as a willing sacrifice to God, I will rejoice. Um, he wanted his life to be worthwhile. He wanted um, good things to come from the Philippians because of what he was doing. And yet, even if, even if all his efforts had no effect or improved things for them, didn't improve it at all, um, he would still rejoice because he gave his life as a willing sacrifice to God. And... You know, we don't do sacrifices like that. Um, but I, I believe that a drink offering was something that was just poured out on the, on the, the altar, on the offering, and the sacrifice. Uh, unlike some parts of some sacrifices, you know, the, a drink offering that was poured out like that couldn't be enjoyed by the priests. Um, it basically did nobody any good except that it was a sacrifice and it pleased God because it was given, um, freely to Him. And maybe, maybe a more, um, applicable word picture would be to say that even if I'm being poured into somebody's lap like a mocha frappuccino, I will rejoice. Okay, um, wrapping this up. We looked at the very beginning um, at three ways that God in his love has revealed himself to us uh, through his creation, through his word, and then also through his son, Jesus. And we looked at three aspects of humility. Humility shares. Um, humility looks out for the, the interests of others. Humility has no hint of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I believe that a church full of humility has no room for selfishness. And humility sacrifices. Um, we are to have the same mind or attitude as, as Jesus had. Jesus did not let his position 
or our unworthiness prevent him from sacrificing for us and for loving us, so can we hold back our love or anything of ours after what Jesus gave for us? Um, sacrifice has rewards, and Jesus uh, is experiencing his reward, and we too will be rewarded if we uh, have his attitude. And then finally, humility shines. Um, offenses happen in good situations and bad situations alike, and Humility is needed to keep our focus off of our own pain, our hurt feelings, and keep our focus on um, on the big picture and, and what we're doing, what, what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. Um, humility is needed to keep our focus on the interests of Jesus. And when we can do this without arguing and complaining, then we can become blameless and pure, and we can be as beautiful as the stars shining on a dark night. That's all I have. Um, if any of you children would like to uh, send me your pictures, a picture of your pictures, email it to me or email it to the Google group. I would love to see them. Um, thank you all for listening.